to The One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Steve Pemberton is Chief Human Experience Officer at Work Human, the world's fastest growing integrated social recognition and continuous performance management platform. Steve works with HR leaders and senior management executives worldwide to help build workplaces where every employee feels recognized, respected, and appreciated for who they are and what they do. Before joining WorkHuman, Steve served in senior HR executive roles for Walgreens, Boots, Alliance, and Monster.com. Steve holds multiple degrees from Boston College and serves on several nonprofit boards, including UCAN, Chicago, Academy for Urban School Leadership, and Loyola Academy. A passionate human rights champion, Steve has made equality, access, and opportunity the foundation of his personal and professional life. A frequent presenter on Capitol Hill in 2015, he was appointed by U.S. Secretary of Labor Tomas Perez to serve on the Advisory Committee for Competitive Integrated Employment of People with Disabilities. He is the author of two critically acclaimed books, The Lighthouse Effect, which highlights the goodness of humanity and empowers readers to be a lighthouse to others, and the USA Today bestselling memoir and subject of the film, A Chance in the World, in which Steve chronicled the extraordinary journey of his search for family. His tireless advocacy for the disenfranchised has also earned him multiple honorary doctorates in the prestigious Horizon Award presented by Congress, given to private sector individuals who have expanded opportunities for all Americans through their own personal contributions. Steve, welcome to the One Away Show. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, it was so good talking to you a few weeks ago. I'm glad you're back from Hawaii. So refreshed and ready. Um, Steve, what is the one-away moment that you want to share with us today? It's the lighthouse effect. It's the idea that all of us uh, immersed in the hustle and bustle and busyness of our own lives can, on any given day, any given interaction, be a lighthouse for another and find one for ourselves. Very cool. And Steve, just so the audience knows, you just published a book on this topic. Why don't you just tell us a little bit more about what made you publish this book on this topic and, and truly the, the definition behind what it represents? The Lighthouse Effect was published a couple of weeks ago, and its origin came from my first book, A Chance in the World. I wrote A Chance in the World about 10 years ago, and I wrote it as a family history. My children, all younger then, have begun asking me about my origin story. And so I wrote the book as my response to them. And what I imagined that it would be would be something of a family history that future generations of Pembertons would read. Well, it's a story of growing up in Massachusetts, no memory of mother, father, family as a family construct, growing up in the foster care system, very turbulent, very difficult, and navigating all of that to get to college, and then ultimately looking for and finding my biological family. It's a near 100-year story when all is said and done. 
But still, I thought that at its conclusion, it wouldn't go any further. It didn't really need to go any further than my own family. Well, I learned really quickly that in the course of writing my own journey, I'd written chapters unknowingly of other people's lives, these universal stories of family and faith and fortitude, forgiveness, redemption, the things that touch all of our lives at some point. When you share your story and it finds a wider audience, what happens is that it's an invitation for people to share their stories with you. And you begin to see really the depth, the essence of humanity, which is very different than what we see on a daily basis. And hearing all of these stories over the years, reflecting on those stories, and also seeing the need for us to find a different way as human beings to connect, to move beyond labels, and to find that more common experience is what led to me to write The Lighthouse Effect, where in essence, I have chronicled the stories of these 10 people that I met along my life journey at different times in my life, as a young boy, uh, as a younger man, or as recently as just a few years ago. And in each instance, they made me pause, reflect, they affirmed a life lesson that was very important. They all overcame something very difficult, Brian, and it could have broken them. And not only didn't it, but they persevered through it, but with a particular aim of the greater good. And that just fascinated me and continues to. So their lives were and are instructive for me, and I think they're instructive for all of us. Well, Steve, I really appreciate the context on your background and your own story, the first book, and then also what contributed towards the second book and sharing these life lessons through the stories of others. Before we get to the lighthouse effect, I think a central question to this, how this is all built out, because I think the thread is very clear here. What I'm curious about is, one, when did you start making sense of your own story? Hmm. And then two, after you started making sense of your own story, when did you realize the power of and maybe the healing experience of sharing your story with someone else who also shares a similar story and what that can do? So I'll let you take it away. Well, boy, I think it might take sometimes a lifetime to make some sense of one's story, you know? And so I think that for me, that making sense is ongoing. You know, it, it never really stops. You're always, I think, trying to make sense of it, right? Uh, you know, I, I would probably say that it didn't really fully happen for me until I became a dad. Mm. You know, because I went through the stage, in all honesty, where I said, you know, okay, you know, this happened and, uh, you know, moving on, you know, moving on. And so, um, you know, I said that it's relevant only to the degree that I had the occasional thought about it. And I just did not anticipate how much fatherhood would really alter that. And more specifically, it made me revisit the story of my own mother and father, their journeys, their lives, the improbability of my own in a way that would be instructive and helpful to others. That's what makes the most sense. The value of one's life is, for me, largely to the degree that it can positively impact someone else's. And 
maybe we endure what we endure, we overcome what we overcome, the epiphanies and awakenings we have, maybe they aren't really for us. Maybe they're for others who might see in our struggles, our victories, the possibility of overcoming their own. So that mission, I, I think, becomes clearer and clearer to me, but never as clear as when A Chance in the World was published. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when it hit me in ways that it hadn't before. That story, that experience was needed. People needed to hear it, and they still need to hear it. They still need to hear it. So for me, it comes down to this word responsibility, having this responsibility to share one story uh, in the hopes that it will touch and impact someone else's. Love that, especially when you're sharing out of a place of being a guide and wanting to impact, right? Not sharing for maybe pity in the sense of getting an you know audience reaction to feel bad, but to be inspired by what you're doing. And just what, one more question, if you don't mind. I know I'm cutting in a little bit. Why fatherhood made you maybe take a step back, maybe reckon a little bit with your past, ultimately leading to a chance in the world? Why was it fatherhood that finally made you look at yourself and, and try and maybe put some puzzle pieces together for the first time? It was a, a realization that that there really isn't such a thing as you just starting with a blank slate, because that's how I saw it. I, I belong to a rare fraternity of individuals who have never experienced parents. My uncle is like that too. We grew up in orphanages and foster homes, and so we didn't have parents. And I think when you have that experience, you just say, well, okay, I want to begin again. But I think this, this idea of legacy, of continuity that you really do see in your children, and specifically breaking a cycle, because that's, a, that's what I had come from. I had come from a cycle of family separation, of being orphaned. I was orphaned. My father was orphaned. My grandfather was orphaned. My mother passed away at 40 as did her mother before her, and her mother before her. You know, it, it was, this was a cycle, and I was just next up. Why that cycle avoided me has been important for me to share, to understand, so that it's, the cycle doesn't get repeated. Mm. I so appreciate this, and just the vulnerability here because it, it's making a lot of sense, but I'm sure it was extremely hard to navigate growing up. With what you saw growing up, were you kind of headstrong in the fact that you wanted to break this cycle, you wanted to do it a little differently? Mm. Yeah, headstrong is, is, is an understatement. Uh, I, I was unrelenting, and Brian, I still am. You know, this idea that I was going to have to repeat that cycle and that I didn't have choice, which a teacher in high school, my senior year of high school, said of me or said to me that I was determined. There's nothing I could do. And I remember she threw me out of class. We got into an argument about it. I, I think that that drive, that, you know, relentlessness, you know, came from having to live like that. and. And then I, I think it becomes very practical at the same time. So you can have the aspiration to, to do anything, right? You say, I don't want this anymore. I don't, and it could be whatever it is. But you have to pivot from that emotion 
to the practice, the behaviors that's going to allow for that vision to become realized. What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to work for or towards? Mm. What are you willing to be vulnerable about? That has to be a manual, has to be something that you live by. Otherwise, without that, you'll lapse into the same kind of behaviors that might have landed you in the circumstance to begin with. It's a daily regimen. It's a daily focus in some way, shape, or form. What's my best? And if I continue to try to answer that question every day, it's an answer that has less to do with comparing oneself other than maybe to a better version of yourself. Better dad, uh, better husband, better writer, better businessman. You know, how good can I get at anything that fuels me? And over time, I do think it creates a recipe for success with one caveat, which may seem odd. I'm actually less concerned about the outcome. I am much more concerned about the effort and about the journey. Like, that's my focus. And it's liberating in that sense, right? to say, okay, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna get up every morning, 4.30 in the morning to write a book, which is what I did with both books, by the way. Now, whether or not they achieve commercial success is almost irrelevant, it doesn't matter. The fact that they found that is, it's nice, but it was not necessary. And that, to me, is the real victory. There's a certain kind of value to pursuing anything with a degree of relentlessness and just seeing like see where it takes you where's it going to take you there's a lot there steve but i really respect you know talked about your high school teacher the headstrong was an understatement it just seemed like something so fundamental to your core that's driven you and asking that question what's my best in all my areas of my life I mean, what a kind of beautiful way to live without maybe the rigidity of the outcome at the end. So it's interesting how you've created what you said, you know, some of these behaviors so that you can have a better life for yourself and sacrificing sleep to to put out work that's going to help uh, inspire others through your story and now the stories of others. Mm-hmm. So let's let's get to the lighthouse effect. Something that I want to ask you before we dive in a little bit to some of the share stories and lessons is on our first call, you said something really interesting that I don't want to gloss over for the audience. You, you talked to me about the definition of a lighthouse and what a lighthouse represents more symbolically. Mm. Can you maybe give some context to what you shared with me one-on-one? I think that would be a great place to start. When you grow up by the sea, as I did, there is a language of, of the sea, like there's a language of the farm. There's you know currents and tides and compasses and they were lighthouses. The lighthouse as an architectural structure has been with us since ancient times. The first tested lighthouse was on the Greek island of Pharos, which is why people who study lighthouses are called phorologists. So as an architectural structure, it is quite a marvel. And there is almost a clash between what the lighthouse looks like and the elements that are around it. It's this incredibly tall structure built very differently than most buildings because it's round. And that's for a very specific purpose, is to diffuse the winds that that come. And maybe the bridge, the sister companion to the lighthouse is the other that we could quite accurately define as the most selfless structure that humankind has ever created. Because the lighthouse exists for no purpose other than to be of service to something or someone else. It's not there to serve itself. In fact, what it is known for emanating light, it is meant to project that light outward. 
if you're around a lighthouse at night, one of the things that will jump out at you is that it, the area around it is not particularly well lit. It's not meant to shine the light upon itself. It's meant to shine that light outward for, for others. This dichotomy of the structure and its mission is fascinating. Wherever you see a lighthouse, there is one thing that you know for sure. Danger is nearby. That's an unequivocal truth. Doesn't matter where it is. Something difficult and dangerous is nearby. Could be coral reef, could be very turbulent currents, it could be an old shipwreck. And in a way, I found the lighthouse to be a beacon for humanity as well. Here's a fascinating thing. Technology really has disintermediated the lighthouse. We, we don't need them the way that sailors of yesteryear did. So they were guides for sailors of yesteryear. Mm. Now we have technology that does that for us, global positioning system, ele electronic navigational charts. And we don't, as a technical matter, need the lighthouse, and yet there's still 23,000 of them all across the world. And there's actually an effort underway to preserve them, and has been for quite some time. So why is that? I think a lot of that has to do with what it means to us to navigate the world. If you don't need it to navigate the sea, then its relevance, I think, is to remind us how to navigate humanity, what we should be to one another and how we should be with one another, to be humble, to be steadfast, to be resilient, to not render judgment, to be a guide, a protector of another's journey. So, so much of how to navigate humanity does exist in the lighthouse itself. For any of us, if you and I, let's say we're in a you know, big conference room and we had you know, a lot of tables around and we asked them, so tell me who your human lighthouse is. Everybody knows. Nobody has to sit back and think for a moment, okay, I really don't know who that is. We all know. Uh, oftentimes, usually more than one person. And it could be an elementary school teacher. It could be the bus driver who picked you up and take you to school, a high school coach, college professor, first boss. Because when you, as you get a little bit older and you look down, really the void that's been your own life, you realize how different your life is because of those people. They're not in your life every single day. You might not talk to them every day, but their impact upon you is with you every day. I really appreciate the definition and what you've shared and just the symbolic structure, even though technology may have replaced what it, you know, used to be, what you said about, we all have these lighthouses in our lives that we don't even have to think they just show up. The fact that you took that concept for a book, you let other people use their stories to create light for others through their own journeys, I think is a really cool concept. Something that I, I want to ask you is you talked about something really poignant and you said around every lighthouse, there's danger to a coral reef or currents or, or things that, that could pose danger. My question for you before we dive into some of the stories in the book is do you believe for an individual to have light, to shine a light on others, if they need to pass through some difficulty? Mm. I, I think it's just the nature of breathing this air, living this life, is that you know adversity. From the time we arrive in the world, it's a battle just to come into the world. And it's oftentimes a battle when you're in the world. It could be inherited circumstances. It could be some things of our own doing. The people that I wrote about all endured something very difficult. And as I said earlier, when you hear other people's stories, you realize how common overcoming adversity is for all of us. 
it's, it's just part of the way we have to navigate the world. What we miss sometimes is how important and helpful those life experiences can be for someone else who is similarly battling something and might not be able to see the way through and forward until they meet us. And there is, at least in our time, we're seeing a lot of systemic breakdowns. We're seeing record levels of addiction, of family separation, of incarceration, of homicide. There's a lot of people in the world who are are hurting because the adversities that they are dealing with seem too big to overcome, and they're looking for hope. And it's not to be found in the traditional places that sometimes we do, especially the elevated figures in society. You know, the wealthy, the well-known, the celebrity. It doesn't mean that those individuals aren't lighthouses. What I do think it means is that we also have to find others that are more closer to us in in our life experience and to recognize that they are indeed all around us. That's what I meant earlier when I said that every interaction is this opportunity to be a lighthouse for someone or to find one for ourselves. Just asking someone their name. I was at a conference some years ago and anytime someone is in a capacity where they're serving me and they have a name tag, I use their name. That's just a moment of recognition of me making sure that they know I see them. And you never know what a gesture like that might mean to someone. This conference I was at, I asked this man, how do I pronounce his name, even though it was obvious. And uh, he said, mi nombre is Samuel, as in Damwell, like everything I do. (laughs) I've never forgotten Samuel. Now, that interaction and my immediate respect and regard for him, his pride at what he did, was so instructive to me and very inspiring. Small interaction. I never saw Samuel again, probably never will. But that interaction, that moment, Mi nombre is Samuel. The pride, the joy was was really something. Yeah, I, I have chills going down my spine. Wow. Well, to your point, there's so much joy that can happen in these happenstance moments. And when you maybe cultivate an environment and experience to fully see it and try and understand people. Mm-hmm. And from the conference bags to the simple questions, it seems like in your life experiences create ways in which you can you can make people feel seen, which is so special. Mm-hmm. So thanks for the stories and also the context to the question around difficulty and, and the light and the relationship between. I want to shine a light on you for the you know 4.30 a.m. wake up sessions to write about others and then the light that they can go shine on the world. If you had to share a few of the individuals or maybe one that is just based on this conversation we're having right now that is really speaking to you. I would love for you to talk about the book and in someone that you were able to highlight who overcame extraordinary feats and, and has triumphed forward to inspire others to do the same. They all fit that bill. They all fit that standard. They do in, in different ways. So there's not one I would say that is more reflective or more the embodiment of that than another. They all do. You know, certainly uh, someone I met much later on in life Greg, who grew up in orphanages without parents, as did I, forged his way through that to become very successful in his career. You know, doting dad, devoted husband. You know, he was dropped off at an orphanage by his mother. He was young and he never saw her again. 
the common thread that he and I have is that he is my biological uncle. And many years later, I came looking for him and I found him. And what that meant to him, you know, at one point he, he said, all these years that I was looking for family or wanted to be found by them, I never imagined that, you know, one day that somebody would come looking for me. You know, the orphan actually as an example of adversity and what we can glean from those who overcome it. To be orphaned is very tough. It's very tough because you're aware of it. You don't have the language or the life experience to put it in any kind of context. But the orphan actually is a staple of the world. The orphan, as a word, is mentioned 27 times in the Bible. Our childhood heroes, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Frodo Baggins, Jane Eyre, all orphaned. The attributes of the orphan, the strength, the resilience, the grit, the, the determination is, is part of how and why we are so attracted to the orphan story. And those are real life examples of people like that too. Greg, my uncle, is one of them. I would love to ask a few more just sure. on Greg. Incredible story that he had been looking all along to be found, being reunited for the first time, create, I'm sure, such an emotional connection beyond words. What, as a result of maybe reconnecting or maybe answering that gift that he had always been looking for, maybe you yourself clearly had been looking for it. I'm just curious, you know, what has happened as a result of you both coming together and maybe tell us a little bit more about Greg and what he's up to today. And, and Sure. You know, what you long for if you've had to move from foster home to foster home or back then orphanage to orphanage, you, you long for normalcy, for continuity, for legacy. That's what you long for. And as long as you live, you long for that. That's the irony of it. It's not something that dissipates when, you're, when you become an adult and self-sufficient. You always long for that because you don't, as families will often do, they'll sit around and share stories. And you, you don't have those stories to share because that's not the story that you came from. Mm. And, and so, you know, what has been restored is that sense of connection. And for he and I, that comes specifically for our children. He has three children, I have three children. They have their own relationship. They know each other very well. And they are, to me, so healing, those interactions for us, for my Uncle Greg and, and for me. Uh, you know, so he is now retired uh, as a physical therapist. That was his career coming out of college, uh, helping uh, people heal, mm -hmm. which I'd, I'd say no doubt helped him heal too, right? Uh, bringing people back to themselves, you know, so to speak. Very quiet and very humble man. Uh, doesn't like the lighthouse, doesn't seek fanfare, doesn't seek recognition, and still doesn't consider it particularly extraordinary. I, on the other hand, think it's very extraordinary. And so we have a great relationship. I'm, in fact, my, uh, my oldest son, his full name is Quinn Gregory Pemberton. Wow. 
love what you said about restorative and healing and how he's maybe healing people through aiding them back physically to themselves. You know, I think you've taken a similar light or approach and helping others heal through words and stories and through your own and now the sharing of others like Greg. So mm-hmm. it's a very special connection. So thank you for sharing about Greg. I, I would love to learn more, you know, to tell us uh, about some of these other lighthouses that you've identified. Yeah, uh, Holly Robinson, Pete, and her son, RJ, and her husband, Rodney Pete, endured the uh, diagnosis of autism for RJ and everything that that family went through and how she in particular resolved that he was going to have his own place in the world remains extraordinary. You know, she says that uh, she wouldn't change RJ for the world, but she would change the world for him. And that's what she's done. When you're a parent in the early days of there being developmental delays, you don't know the source of the origins of them. You're seeking advice here. It's very challenging, very challenging. And they went through all that. And I think there's expectation, especially because RJ's dad, Rodney Pete, Uh, was a Heisman finalist, an NFL quarterback for 14 years, Holly Robinson Pete of um, 21 Jump Street fame, fantastic actress. You know, they were the quote-unquote, you know, all-American couple. And then here comes his diagnosis of autism. And how do you handle that as a family? Uh, What does it mean for RJ? I mean, RJ's a lighthouse because this diagnosis of, of autism has nevertheless still enabled him to be a beacon for others. He is today an attendant for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's the lifeblood of the clubhouse, and nobody imagined that that was going to be his impact on the world. But it is a great deal of admiration and affection for him and for the family. You know, another story is of F.L. Kirby, who was downed behind enemy lines in in Vietnam, although he was quick to point out to me that it's all enemy lines when you were fighting in Vietnam. You know, fighting, Brian, you and I don't know what this is like because we're of a different generation. Uh, But FL fought in a thankless war because those who served in Vietnam were not thanked for their service. And in fact, nearly all of them purposefully took the uniform off when they came home so they wouldn't be targeted. And, you know, FL, whose helicopter went down twice in Vietnam, the first time on a training mission, the second time when he was going to pick up a chaplain to bring some spiritual restoration to, you know, his fellow soldiers. Uh, and he survives both crashes. And uh, the second one, you know, by all in, for all intents and purposes, he should have been a prisoner of war. Uh, because he was in a very desperate situation, but somehow found his way back to safety and did so with an even greater desire to be of service to humankind, you know? And you, when you sit there talking to somebody like that, Brian, you know, just that, that, that kind of courage, that kind of conviction, that kind of strength is extraordinary. That's <laughs> just... And he doesn't, he couldn't convince him of it, you know? And and I think about all of our social collisions today, all of the carping at one another, the negativity, the cynicism. And then I think about FL, small in stature, giant in heart though. 
E2, a lighthouse. Two helicopter crashes and survived both in a war. Yeah, and I should also point out, flying a helicopter in Vietnam, very dangerous, very dangerous. So my grandfather, um, he was a wild weasel in Vietnam. And you know what a wild weasel is? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just share for the audience. His job was to fly in first to get shot at so bombers could come in behind him and drop bombs. And I know it really shaped the childhood of my, my father, but they never talked about war. I almost, I think I was too young to maybe ask the questions I would ask today. <laughs> but there was this sense of strength, this inner strength. Mm. That was so clear about this man, and hard to appreciate them. But to to your point, you see the name was R J. Sorry for or, no R J. Yes, R J. Okay, I was right. I mean, he said uh, small in stature but big and hard or something. I mean that that I mean it's just incredible, right? Listening to that, that he had the fortitude to keep going. And I, my my question about him is, you said that the way he's moved forward to, I think, like impact people or, or to share, share more kindness because of it. What what, what does that look like? You know, I, mean, I think for for FL, you know, FL is in many ways the embodiment of what any of us can do. What I mean by that is that it's in his daily interactions. Now, he moved into the financial sector upon his uh, departure from, from the military. And so for FL, it shows up in his faith. It shows up in his family and his grandchildren, his children and his grandchildren in particular. It shows up in the way that he tries to, you know, impact and touch the life of another. As I think about being a, a, a lighthouse, you know, sometimes I, I think we assign it to these larger, enormous, gigantic things. You know, I've got to build a nonprofit. And I'm not so sure about that. I, I think a kind word matters. Mm. I, I think a listening ear matters. Mm. You know, being a lighthouse is also in the small things too, and FL really does embody that. And what I also find is so important, and particularly in American society today, is the need generally for us to live the lessons of people like FL. The selflessness, the courage, those are qualities that I find in our daily interactions. If they're not in short supply, they certainly are not celebrated as much as they should be. Where the, the, the nexus, the foundation of culture and the way we interact is cynicism is judgment, it's criticizing rather than celebrating, acknowledging, uplifting. And if you, social media unfortunately has only accelerated a lot of that and those things change society, Brian, they yeah. do. But you don't need to be the big figure, the person with the title, the accolades to, to have a massive impact on the lives of others. And it can be that through the smallest of things and yes, it to be the thread line through a lot of these individuals. They're not massive in social stature, but they truly care. Uh, a couple more questions here before we wrap. You shared a few moments from becoming a father and how it maybe put together some of the pieces of your story, writing the first book. What I'm curious about is what is the biggest thing maybe you learned about yourself through giving others the torch and sharing those stories? Probably the biggest thing I've learned is the sense of 
mission and the willingness, I, I think, to do the hard things for the greater good. I mean, I always knew that, but I just realized that I am the, you know, I'm a fighter. I just came into the world that way, and I've just, it, it's not that I've learned that as much as I've gotten very, very comfortable with it. I battle. And I think we all have to get to those journeys, those realizations in our life of this is who I am, this is what I am, and to be comfortable with that, whatever that is. When there are the external world of comparisons and expectations, but I think realizing what your core is, at, at your core, and getting comfortable with that, accepting it, embracing it, celebrating it, has been important for me because you're not drawn so much into the, well, boy, I, I should be a lot more like, or I should, it's like none of that. It's more about, now this is how I am. And I think about that with my wife, Tanya's like, what's her way? Um, you know, she loves the moments of celebration as we were, we were uh, just in Hawaii and she just kept pointing out the flowers. I mean, she notices things like that and appreciates them and appreciates the beauty that is life. That's her, that is her. Trying to make her something else uh, or her trying to be something else is like, What's the point of that? <laughs> What's the point of that? That's who she is. You have yours, right? This is who I am at my core. I think that's an important realization for all of us to have, that we not get caught up in comparison. Everybody has their own journeys to walk, so to speak, you know? So I think that that, for me, has been the greatest affirmation in this process. Quick secondary point to that the importance of being willing to share the struggles because what we can be drawn to is title and success. And those might be the things that say, ah, here's the standard. And so you're lo looking up to that. Uh, not so sure about that. Not so sure about that. I think it's the moments of uncertainty, mm -hmm. moments of, hey, I didn't know the way forward either. I remember that. I see that's where you are now. Let me help you. You know, that to me is a very different approach than, than saying, look at me and I'm the, you know, you should do all the things that I did. What resonates more with me is here's the times I was in the storm. Mm, wow. It's actually the experience for you of, of getting closer in touch, it sounds like, with humanity and the storms of humanity, despite having such a storm that you had to walk through yourself. And I just have so much respect for the body of work that you put together. Just how you're sharing about it. You can tell I, I this whole conversation has just been from the heart. You're not even thinking. It's, it seems like it's oozing out of you so naturally. And you just have a lot of respect, Steve, for your journey. Appreciate and, that, Brian. Yeah. And, and last question, and then we're going to tell people where to find you and all the fun things. Um, you know, some of my backgrounds, I, the cycle of certain things in my life growing up has really driven me, maybe similar to you. And... Not in the same way, not the same storm, but definitely propelled me in a certain way. And so I'm curious for you, even the fact that you never had the structure in your life, what's been the most gratifying aspect of being a father and having each, you know, it sounds like a strong, loving family unit and a beautiful wife who, who truly cares about you and, and the family you guys are cultivating. It, it, it's the stability. <laughs> it's normalcy. That's what I treasure. That's what's been by far the most satisfying. My three children, watching them chase their own life pursuits is really satisfying. Now, what they, what they go on to do, I'm not so concerned about that. If we've raised them right, then they'll choose wisely. 
that gives me an enormous amount of satisfaction. And not just for the obvious reason that it's them and we love them, but it's also the end of a cycle for the Pemberton side, my line of the family. It's the end of a cycle. That gives me a lot of satisfaction. And then uh, more broadly, just knowing that some part of my journey inspires others. Like that to me is particularly meaningful because I do remember those storms. I remember how difficult they were. And to be a small beacon in the midst of those storms is it's living the actualized life. Like maybe that's what you're here to do. And maybe that's why you endure what you do is so that you can be that beacon for somebody else. Beautiful. Thank you, Steve, for sharing so courageously and about a few of the people, although I know there were there were many more uh, in the book that I did not discuss. So for others who connect with you, find you, find your work, where where shall they go? How do they go about doing that? Well, you can find me on all the big social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Pemberton. So you can find me there, provide a lot of updates on the Lighthouse Effect. You can also find me and reach out to me at stevepemberton.io or all the places that I am. Those platforms, I hear a lot of people's stories and I share a lot of those stories through those channels specifically. So I'd love to hear from your listeners. I too greatly appreciate this time, this conversation. We should all you know, begin our days like this. <laughs> well, thanks for the opportunity to ask you some questions and you answered them beautifully and hope uh, it was a little different for you than, than others, but I really enjoyed it myself. And I know the people who listen will be impacted as well. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Great to be with you. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.